All right. So we're in Romans. Continue to be in Romans. Why? Because we believe that God's word is authoritative, that the gospel transforms. The good news, you believed, transformed your life, it transformed my life. And that gospel continues to have an effective work in us. So last week, Brent brought us to the end of chapter 3. Now we're in the beginning of chapter 4 in this letter to the Romans. And we're going to be talking about the way of the gospel. We're going to continue. As Brent has broken it down for us, the first section was the need for the gospel. All right? And last, or two weeks ago, before Mother's Day, we transitioned into the way of this gospel, the next section in Paul's letter. The need for the gospel. We went over that because the, Paul identifies our minds need to be reoriented. They need to be corrected. And now, as that has been thoroughly done, the way of the gospel, we're going to be seeing how we live in a way that demonstrates that we can hold on to. And I don't know what you're going through in life. I don't know what you came with in here today. But I'm sure, like me, you need at times to say, okay, I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand firm in him. But as the wind and, and, and things come up against you, it's hard to stand sometimes. And what he gives us, how he moves in us, what he indwells us with, and who he has made us to be enables us to stand firm on his word and in him. We're going to read these uh, first 15 verses in Romans together. So I'm going to ask that you would stand with me if you're able to. You can follow the screens above or you can take out your Bibles as in the ESV. What then shall we say we gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him, or was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. As to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteous apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? 
For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are merely, sorry, who, sorry, as circumcised as who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is, if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is what we're going to be going through today. You can have a seat. I hope you saw a number of verses or our words repeated in there because, man, this is, this is a section of, of repetition. If, if you're enjoying reading on your own, you're noticing that this section, when we begin chapter 4, these 15 verses, or the first 12, 13 at least, Paul is whipping out an example. He's saying, hey, look, what I showed you in the verses before this, the end of chapter 3, that you were to be righteous. But how? He's giving us real-life, historical, biblical examples of those who did it. Why? Because they were so great? No. No. Because one who is great did it. So as we go through this text, there are three specific things I hope you take away. When you look at text, I want you to see and I hope glean what is gained. What is gained? What, what do we gain? What did Abraham gain? How did I gain it? How did you gain it? How did he gain it? And what is the result of what is gained and how I gained it? For righteousness, you'll see in end of chapter 3, and then again the, the example we'll see in 4, is a theme that you'll see throughout this book, the entire book of Romans. Because it is something that Paul values and esteems highly. Your righteousness, my righteousness. That when I come before the living God of the universe, he doesn't see what I did when I was a little boy. He doesn't look on the gravity of the horrible things that I willfully engaged in as a young man 
He does not hold me on account as a follower of Jesus for what I resisted and strived to grow through, but failed at even now. He sees in you and in me this righteousness. Because I tried so hard, because you worked at it so long, God is building his kingdom, and he has established the way of righteousness. He made this way of righteousness by sending the son of righteousness, proclaiming the gospel of righteousness to the people of all nations who he has made his righteousness, so that we may live in a world empowered to declare his righteousness until... The consummation of things, all things, when everyone from every tongue, tribe, and nation will rejoice as his righteousness. So what is righteousness? It's, man, well, what's unrighteousness? I want to understand that. You want to understand that. Yes, we understand we can't be righteous if we're sinful. But it's also described in Scripture as being bent or crooked. As opposed to the Lord who is straight. Somehow, if you were a follower of Jesus Christ, he has transferred his righteousness to you and straightened what is, was bent. How? how? How can this perfectly just God transfer Justify. Well, like I said, Paul is consumed by this. You see it throughout the book, but he begins in the in early on in Romans, chapter one, verse sixteen and seventeen. Right, it says, "I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed." From faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, Paul circles back around to it. Brent spoke to it last week or two weeks ago. Chapter 3, verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all who have sinned and fallen short. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, like I said, chapter 4 illustrates this point that we're seeing in chapter 3. Using scripture, Paul 
authoritatively demonstrates righteousness through faith. Not righteousness through works. This is how God's economy has functioned from the beginning. So, in chapter 4, Paul goes back 2,000 years. 4,000 years from us now, plus actually, to Abraham. So we see in these first few verses... What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Unique term right there. Right? Paul calls Abraham our forefather. How many times in the New Testament is that term used? Once. Right here. The only time this specific Greek word is used And it's to distinguish between the flesh, right? The ancestry of those who have a Jewish lineage and those who are not. What's gained? Can Abraham boast based on what it says here? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Do you guys see Abraham boast in Scripture? Do you boast? What do you have to boast about? Can he be justified? Can, for salvation, can he really be justified? By his works. Frankly, this man, Abraham, <laughs> we look at the totality of scripture and we see in Genesis what this man was like. Dude was a scoundrel at times a dirtbag at others, a total wuss at moments, and then this massive faith that comes out of who knows where. Does that sound like you? I know it sounds like me. Now remember, just a few verses back in chapter 23, it says, for we hold that one's justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans 3, verse 10 says, No one is righteous, no, not one. So then, why does Paul feel the necessity to clarify this? That not even Abraham could boast before God. You see, rabbis in the day Paul taught that Abraham had a surplus of merit from his works that was available to his descendants. Paul built on that idea and agreed that assuming that Abraham was justified by works, which he wasn't, he had something to boast about. But Paul insisted his boasting could be before people, but no boasting could he ever do before God. A finite sinful man cannot sufficiently pay off a high transgression against God. You and I cannot pay that off. If the value of sin was measurable, 
you and I would have sinned before being able to sufficiently settle our original debt. And then had to start all over again. But what the heck? What do you say we try and negotiate with God for our salvation a little bit? Practice some indulgences, maybe make some offerings, pay some uh, priests to intercede, go to some deities. I mean, who knows? Maybe you actually have enough money. And you and I both know that sounds stupid. But does Bezos have enough? Does Musk? Buffett? Soros? Who has enough? You and I don't. They do not have enough money. So what if we translated that instead of money to works would that be any different could you do enough i served at vbs that's worth about 10 grand spiritually i worked in youth ministry with junior hires i am a millionaire right <laughs> even in a state of the greatest amount of inflation, your best works, my best works, do not carry the economic power to pay off your debt to God. They don't. No amount. Verse 23 of Romans 3 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And are justified, are justified by his grace as a gift. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Repentance and faith in Jesus alone is the only satisfying currency God will accept. Which is why verse 3 holds so true. It's the how in verse 4 that can be achieved. No one can earn it. So, stand in him as it says. Verse 5, to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as a righteous. That's what Abraham did. He trusted in God and believed God would keep his word. He believed God would do it. We are saved believing God did do it. Abraham believed looking ahead. We believe that Jesus did it looking back. And so we're satisfied before the Lord presently as Abraham was satisfied historically. Stood on the rock. If you do this, you'll be in good company because Paul takes out another example. Just as David also spoke 
or speaks of the blessing to the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. You are blessed if he counts you righteous before him. Now, let me give you another wonderful example. Not so long ago historically compared to Abraham or even David. But still, a uh, couple hundred year old effort by Benjamin Franklin. Rebecca Rupp writes, as failures go, we're in good company. Take Benjamin Franklin. As a young man, Ben, Benjamin, composed a master list of 12 resolutions, later tacking on a killer 13th. Imitate Jesus and Socrates. I don't know why that guy needs to be on there, but okay. He had a particular difficulty he noted in his autobiography. Benjamin kept track of his performance in a small book in which he entered a black mark each day for each resolution broken. He had intended to reuse the little book eventually, erasing old black marks as his performance improved. He didn't. So many black marks appeared on top of black marks that the little book developed holes. He had to resort to keeping his records on a piece of ivory from which the accumulated black marks could be tactfully mocked off with a wet sponge. If only our marks could be wiped off that easily. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. We don't need a book, a piece of ivory, and the sponge that you see often in that picture at the beginning is the once-in-a-lifetime clean through gospel. So what is gained by repenting of sin and believing in Jesus? You gain his righteousness. Now, if you need clarification on the next section about circumcision, please ask your mom or your dad after we get together. I don't want to take the time here, but preferably um, when we have the refreshments time through the doors after the service, not over the food. Okay? But Paul makes it clear. Verse 10, the Abraham's righteous by faith came before his circumcision, right? Not a result as a result of his works, but because Abraham believed God. He left Ur in Mesopotamia 4,000 years ago and went to a land 1,500 miles away that he didn't know that had a different language, a different people group. Why? Because he believed God. So he took with him his wife, his nephew, Tara, father-in-law, and they made this 1,500-mile journey. 
But not only that. When he was there, and as an older man, in his 80s, 90, just shy of 90, without children, God says, you will have kids. In fact, your kids will number the stars in the heaven. He didn't laugh like his wife when Abraham said, you're going to have a kid. But he simply believed it. What God said, he believed it. And scripture says in Genesis chapter 15, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, the Lord says to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord and he the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Not because he actually did anything yet. Because he believed God would do what he said. Abraham had this filthy habit of believing God. He trusted him. And because of that, God credited him. Do you have what our enemy would call that nasty little habit of trusting the Lord? Our enemy does not want you to trust him, believe him, follow him. So he puts all manner of obstacles in your way, some of which you encountered this morning, some you'll return to when you leave today. When Abraham obeyed the Lord and was circumcised, it was because he wanted to obey. Not for salvation, but because he learned about the one he could believe in. Today, you and I confess our sins we believe in jesus for our salvation and we also have according to the text here a seal a sign what is it what is it holy spirit he actually indwells us you and me you and i have the spirit of living god in us. Does that seem normal? That's weird. But that is how he's chosen to work. That is how he said, I will enable you. I will empower you. I will strengthen you. Ephesians chapter 1 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Abraham gained his righteousness by standing before God in faith. 
It's no different for you and me or for any human that will walk on this planet. This next section, Paul wants to identify what's the purpose. Right? So on the next slide, it says that the purpose was to make him the father of all. Now again, he uses the term father, not forefather this time. But he is then the forefather, not just of those who are physically Jewish, but who he's really the father of. All who believe. Those of faith in God through Jesus Christ. All. He believed God and would keep his word. He walked in that manner. And so he believed. There will be costs at times, you and I know that, in following Jesus. Sometimes great costs, sometimes small costs. Now, we don't look at them as costs or use that term with much comfort. But if you get baptized, there could be a cost. Now, here in the States, typically, the cost is fairly minimal. But other places around the world, you may believe in Jesus, but once you take that sign of immersing yourself in water and saying, I'm dead to myself, I'm alive again in you. Not for salvation, that came through belief alone. But obeying what Jesus said and actually doing it. If you haven't got baptized yet, you need to be baptized. Right? Because that's obeying. That's following what Jesus said. But there's an association. I'm telling the world I follow Jesus till I'm dead. Dead. D-E-A-D, gone, not breathing. Okay? But also, there's cost. Sometimes in relationship, we need to engage and share and live by faith. I understand marriage can be hard. I know our kids can be hard. Living with an adversary at work or a neighbor that just won't let up. There are relationships that sometimes can be difficult. This is where you also live by faith. This is where you also take risk. If you make yourself Available, can you be hurt? Yes. Will you be hurt? Yes. Will God hurt you? No. Verse 12 says, Walk. Abraham walked in a way that demonstrated he had faith. We also are implored. 
walk in a manner as Abraham. So how did you gain your righteousness? By faith alone. By faith. What's the result of your faith that led to righteousness? Well, Abraham, it says, received the promise to be heir of the world. That's decent. Heir of the world. What does that mean? Verse 13, what is promised in verse 13? He is the father of all then who believe. Because all who don't will eventually be thrown to the lake of fire. And on the new world, it's just going to be those who believe. But there's more. It says that the law, again, that it said at the end of uh, chapter 3, is crucial. We uphold the law, right? Our culture <laughs> says the heck with the law, right? We, we are moving more and more into a direction. Why? Because there's accountability. Because there's a absolute right and wrong. Now, human law is fallible, but God's law, infallible. And we're told to uphold what God's word says. The result, though, is wrath. So I want to remind you what Brent said a number of uh, weeks back, months back actually, that God's wrath, as described most often in the book of Romans, is not uncontrolled loss and anger that's spewed out. Right? The thumos. It's not that. Over and over and over and over again in the text, when we read about God's wrath, it is orge. This settled, steady, visible, but purposeful wrath. Best described in contemporary terms as a dam that's holding back the great accumulated anger but allowing some to pass through for a purpose. It is steady. Is it justified? Absolutely. I know me, you know you. You know you are worthy of God's wrath. But he has made a way. The world doesn't like that because it's convicting. So, let's, uh, <laughs> let's keep moving on here because I want to bring us back to the fact that God has made a way to escape his wrath. Romans chapter 2. You see there my highlighting. I did the best I could to cover that up. How'd it work? 
Do you know what it says? Do you show contempt for the riches of his, meaning God's kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing God's kindness is intended to blot you out, make you pay for what you've done, or his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God is so kind. He doesn't want you to bear the brunt of the release of his wrath. And so he says, get away, come to safety, believe my son when he comes and tells you, believe me, I will get you out of here. But that is not comfortable. Many don't like that, right? Because that means I have to receive something from God. I can do this on my own. I should be able to. If he had messed up the scales and mess up how this all should really work, it's God's fault, right? No. God has a plan. He wants to lead you, lead all those who will come to him to repentance. And Abraham, who is going to be heir of the world, ultimately will bend his knee also. And will go up and hang out with Father Abraham, who had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. So are you. I don't know how the rest goes, actually. That's about all I remember. Somebody, I think with Dan, is there dancing? Yeah. Dang. Okay. <laughs> we don't want any of that right now. Um, but he'll submit to who? The heir of all things. The heir of all things. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all all things through him also he created the world and he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power the heir of all things we look to father Abraham pretty extraordinary but we believe in the heir of all things Is there more? Absolutely. Is that the only place? No, there's more. Let's read another one. To the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, and of children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's a lot. 
That's you. That's me. You are a co-heir with Christ? What did you do? What did I do? Something most of the world does not do. The majority on this planet do not do what you do. Put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. That mystery is that Gentiles, for the most part, all of us, are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That is God's word. That is authoritative, completely believable. So, who are you? What does the text, the unbreakable word of God, say that you are? You are righteous. You have faith in Jesus Christ. Your result is that you are living, breathing air. So whatever someone else says to you, however you end up feeling at the end of the day, is just that. It is feeling and it's someone else's word. It is not God's word. It is not the unbreakable truth of what he has said authoritatively about you. No one, Satan himself, cannot alter that truth. Now, I understand that uh, that is hard to receive and actually believe from day to day. But let me give you an example. How many of you ever tried to cut a kid's hair? I cut my kid's hair sometimes. Sometimes they insist, can we just go to a barber? Scott doesn't have that problem. Um, all right. But I'm, I'm cutting my kid's hair last month, right? And the mirror's behind him. I said, look at me. Just look at me, Right? And I get the clippers out and I'm shaving the sides of his head and he's. No. Look at me. I'm clipping his hair and he's constantly like, are we done yet, dad? And dude, pick, look at me. Lift your head up. Look at me. Okay. Ah! Ah! It hurts. If you didn't move, it wouldn't hurt, right? Everything from, if you keep moving, I'm going to cut your ear off, which I hope I'm not the only one who's ever said that, right? But all this head movement, why? 
He wants to be done, and he wants to see the finished product. And there's times where I spin him around, and, you know, he's, he's seeing his hair half cut, and he's looking in the mirror going, Dad! Right? And it just looks hokey until I get, you know, the scissors out, and I start clipping the top, and, right? And sometimes the finished product isn't great, but, again, I'm not Jesus. So, <laughs> but... Ultimately, he's looking at me. I said, okay, we're almost done. All right. That didn't take that long, Dad. No. You're, you're doing better. It's, it's getting quicker. I'm finished. Do you want to see? He turns around, and he sees the final product. Now, there may need a little bit of gel that's needed in there to fix my work. But that's what the Lord does with us, right? We're constantly trying to see what it is that God's doing. And we said, just keep your eyes on me. You believed in me. Just stay focused right here. I will show you the finished product soon enough. And you will look better than you thought. All right. You are his righteous ones. Live by faith. You are his heirs. Do you think he wants his heirs to look bad? That is who you are. So, as we continue to move ahead, Paul wanted you to be absolutely sure of who you are in Christ, that you are righteous. He gave you some great examples to look to and a hope to hold dear. Let's continue to worship the Lord because he's made us his heirs. Let me pray for us. We'll have the worship team Come back up. Lord, thank you. Because we know we didn't deserve it. We know that you're the one who accomplished it. We praise you right now. Because of what you did in Abraham, what you did in David, and what you continue to do in us. Lord, as your people here, as my brothers and sisters, head out. We know there's all kinds of stuff that's going to come up against them. We know our enemy. We know that even our flesh is weak. We know there are all, all kinds of things that we have to deal with. Would you please sustain us with your strong right arm? Would you work in us through your empowering spirit so that when we get home and we see this finished product that you've called an error, we are blown away. And we can look back and say, oh, that didn't take. Lord, it didn't take you too long. And you can tell us it's because that we've, we've learned your voice. We know what your leading is like. And you make it easy and even more pleasurable than life to follow you and do what you say. I ask that for your people here. 
In Jesus' name.